2022, and you're listening to City is Playground, a podcast by Leadership Foundations. I'm Rick Enlow, the host, and I'm here with Dave Hillis, president and... What, Dave? What should I say? How should I describe <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and transitioning. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. yeah because yeah. you'll always be the, you know, uh, the presidential to me. And But it's great. We'll be talking about that in just a minute. But uh, I want to uh, just welcome everybody back to the podcast. I know we've taken a, a bit of a holiday break. Uh, we were uh, blessed by um, the idea of prayer and poetry by Father Steve Landry uh, as a sort of a Christmas gift. And uh, we wanted to give people some you know, some time to absorb that remarkable offering. And so mm. we just uh, sort of waited till about, oh, Easter. And uh, and and now we're back. So uh, welcome back. How you been? I've been good. I've been good, Rick. And uh, I do think you're right that there, uh, there was a sense in which what we experienced with Steve, uh, I've gone back to that podcast of ours, and I've had a number of other people tell me, They've returned to it multiple times uh, because there was a weight to it. It was almost yeah. a little bit like what St. Paul says, you know, the weight of glory uh, was at yeah. play. And uh, so it's been fun to continue to chew on that. And now I think we're ready to engage a new series. Yeah, and we're looking forward to this. We're actually going to call the series The Bible and the Newspaper. And uh, that should make a little uh, more sense in just a few minutes. But, uh, you know, Dave, we've been talking about City as Playgrounds. It's really great also to hear other people, um, you know, owning that phrase. I, I love uh, when, I, when sure. I read some of the local leadership foundations and they're writing or, you know, I just hear people saying it. Uh, it's just become, um, you know, it's become part of the fabric of who we are in terms of uh, uh, expressing and describing. And it, it, it's a narrative that is so yeah. important. And, uh, and we've been talking about it, of course, for, uh, you know, from different angles over the years, but uh, maybe why don't you just kind of refresh us a little bit, maybe personally, how you've experienced this metaphor come alive. Yeah, absolutely, Rick. And um, I should say that, you know, as recent as just a, a week and a half ago, uh, myself and Larry Lloyd, who we'll talk a bit about here in terms of taking my place, uh, were in Cleveland, where we were with our leadership foundations uh, in Cleveland and Akron. Uh, and in Dayton, Ohio, and uh, had probably almost 100 and some odd people kind of come through and hear essentially the LF pitch. Mm -hmm. And what I would do is I would get up and talk about the theology and philosophy around Leaders Foundations, and then Larry would come up and talk about what was actually happening on the ground. What Part of the reason I bring that up is it was so encouraging to see a whole new group uh, get introduced to the idea of city as playground and the mm -hmm. appetite I think was so deep. And so I think we've really struck something that has a lot of, uh, a lot of leg to it. And I think can yeah. serve us well moving forward. Yeah. I, I think the first thing Rick, I would just say is just about metaphor in general. Um, again, you've heard me say this a thousand times as have others, but you know, Joseph Campbell said, you know, uh, if you want to change the world, change your metaphor. <clears throat> so, I oftentimes say to people, the question isn't so much uh, whether you, you know, have a particular metaphor, but what metaphor are you actually using? Um, I think we are metaphoric. I don't even know if that's a word. People. Yeah. And we, uh, <clears throat> we think about life. We think about each other always through the prism of a metaphor, whether it is conscious <clears throat> or if it even sometimes maybe is more unconscious. 
So I think that was that was huge for me, um, just acknowledging that, uh, recognizing that. Uh, the other thing I would say is is something that Simone Weiss said, um, and she said this. She says, "There's only two things that awaken our heart to God. Uh, one is affliction, uh, and the other is beauty." Mm-hmm. Um, I remember early on uh, when I, you know, I was kind of starting my work on the streets of Tacoma on the east side and hilltop. Um, you, you know, if I'm completely honest and transparent, uh, I was there really around the idea of affliction. Um, I had a deep sense of social justice. You know, I just thought that, you know, for example, tutoring in a high school class where the prerequisite to get into it was you had to read below a fourth grade level. I mean, I just, that, that broke my heart. Um, in high school. I, yeah, in high school. In right, high school. Right. So, so I, you know, I showed up in a sense to do urban ministry through the portal of affliction. But that only gets you so far. Uh, mm-hmm. You begin to run out of gas, right? There's there's not enough angst that can keep that motor running, and so I begin to kind of go: Is there a beauty here, right? Is there is there something that can inspire? I think and move me, uh, and and that really became this place as a playground, uh, or could be a playground. Yeah, and, and so on a very personal level, um, I carried that you know all the way back to my young life days and early days in NLF. Of course, the more you know that I read and I thought, and these were the G.K. Chestertons of this world, these were the Hugo Ronners of this world, uh, and ultimately Ray Bakke, who you know you and I talked with and about. Um, I began to feel the weight, uh, the theological weight uh, of City as Playground, right? That it was more than just something that was helpful for Dave Hillis, but actually could be a biblical framework by which we think about our work in general. Uh, And it was really, I think, a wonderful way to kind of translate Zechariah 8, which has really become, you know, the large motif of leadership foundations, right? That that Zechariah saw a city, not unlike uh, all of our cities, that was beat up and uh, in trouble and, and had the audacity to say, you know, there is coming a time where little kids will be playing on your streets. Uh, the elderly will be with cane in hand watching them. Uh, and, and that, you know, kind of scripture we translate as, you know, that's right. And it's seeing the city uh, as God's playground rather than a battleground. Yeah. Which is not to say at all that you gloss over a lot of the hard edges. I mean, you know, certainly, Zachariah didn't either, but it is more to do with, you know, a way of seeing, right? Uh, directing your sight line. Uh, mm-hmm. That, I think, has become key. Um, and then, you know, the final thing I would say, and, you know, and you and I have talked about this, but there's there's three very practical ramifications of this idea of city as playground. And the first, of course, is theological, uh, the, that, that God is a friend of the city rather than a foe. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I tell you, Rick, I just as an aside, and this again happened in Cleveland, when I stand up in front of, you know, people who are looking at this urban reality of the 21st century, uh, I always love to ask them the question, is this good news or bad news that we're becoming increasingly urban? And there's always this pause. Uh, and then I say, you know, 
I would want to argue that it is a demonstration of God's sovereignty, that the world is becoming more urban because the scripture itself tells us that while, you know, the whole thing began in a garden, it ultimately ends in a city. Right. Um, so to get theologically behind the idea that this urban thing that sometimes scares us and makes us stutter and shudder uh, actually is a manifestation of God being a friend rather than a foe. Mm -hmm. uh, the second, of course, is sociological, that our neighbor now becomes a colleague rather than a competitor. And, you know, again, I think in the toxic world that we're living in with us versus them, uh, that tonic is more needed than ever. And then the third has been economical, where we continue to try to beat the drum that the, the economy of city's playground is one of abundance <clears throat> rather than scarcity. Right. I would uh, say now, though, I've added a fourth, uh, and that's anthropologically, um, that, you know, because we are in relationship to one another, we are constituted uh, by other people's desires, which is, of course, the great Girardian insight, and James mm -hmm. Allison has helped us with it. Um, but in that context, what that means is it brings together, I think, the Bible in one hand, right, to continue to help shape our theological uh, sort of imagination, but also the newspaper. Um, and it was it was Karl Barth that beautifully said, and we think he said it, actually, I should say that. Uh, uh, there's some debate about that. But whoever said it, um, the notion was is that the proper posture uh, of a Christian uh, is to hold the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in another and let them talk to one another. Mm. And so I think that captures uh, in many ways the essence of what LF work looks like in, you know, almost 50 cities around the world. Yeah, right. That's so great, Dave. You know, I, I, I thought about this uh, metaphor, uh, especially in, in light of the images in Ukraine at how, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, when you talk about battleground, you're thinking, oh, I had no idea, you know, how um, just horrific, you know, that was going to end up being. But, and again, like uh, to your point that it seems like such uh, a demonstration of affliction, which it is, but then I started to see um, and, and look for a different way of seeing. And I'm also completely stunned with the beauty of the devotion of the folks to their cities. Like I've heard, especially, Absolutely. you know, President Zelensky and, and others who say like, um, you know, Keith, like this is my city, you That's know, right. and I will not, you know, uh, walk exactly away. Right. I mean, you can just see this, this love and this loyalty for a city that I've heard you and Larry and others, you know, describe. And so even in the middle yeah. of uh, what we, uh, you know, hope to see end soon, um, there is this hope in that metaphor, um, but without denying the fact that, um, you know, uh, that there's an attack. And so I think that that yep. plays out, um, obviously most graphically, you know, in that part of the world, but it's, 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 uh, just a mirror of, of what we see. Yeah, so I appreciate right. that. You know, one of the things, Dave, is that I hear people use this phrase a lot space, you know, they use this Space word because, like, I talked to my son. Hey, um, you know, he got a new job, and somebody says, "Well, what are you doing now?" He's like, "I'm working in the tech space." I'm like, "Okay, okay." And then, uh, and then, you know, uh, my other son like is in the insurance space, you know. And then I was thinking, <laughs> well, if people from NASA uh, would probably be working in the space space, right? That's kind of cool. And then, <laughs> and then somebody asked me the other day, you know, that like you're a pastor, right? And they said, well, uh, so what, what's your job? And I said, well, I work in the space between life and death. 
Ah. And then I started thinking about the Easter uh, season in which Jesus seems like he's trying to explain that uh, he's at work in the space between death and life, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but I think mm -hmm. it's, it's important for us to kind of, uh, you know, have some understanding of, you know, where we operate. And I certainly think that um, LF uh, has been and will continue to be uh, in that space between, you know, the Bible and the newspaper. In, in that right. space between what is a, you know, a, a sociological reality and a theological truth, you know, and that is, that is a remarkable space. And I, I yeah. would say not a very populated space. So I think I'm so thankful that LF, uh, you know, occupies that space, but we want to kind of examine that in this series. And uh, so tell me more, a little bit more about that, you know, that, it, and by the way, the fact that we, th that we're attributing it to Bart just means that we love him, you know, because <laughs> I, I love my dad who's gone, you know, he's, he's moved on, but uh, I'm, I'm quoting him for stuff he never said. There you go. <laughs> that, you know, you know go. Like, like my dad said, and I think, I don't think he really said that, but I love the guy. So, you know, that's right. Probably what we're that's doing right. Bart. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, so I, you know, again, to kind of lift up this image of newspaper in one hand and, and Bible in the other, um, and I think you're absolutely right, Rick, that having occupied that space here now for, I think, the better part of, you know, 40 plus years for leadership mm -hmm. foundations, and then in my case, uh, having been president for the last almost 14 years, um, it is, I think, rarefied air. Uh, and by that, I don't necessarily mean that like there's a special talent necessarily that you you know need in order to get there, but rather uh, a willingness, I think, to take two things that maybe at face value sometimes look juxtaposed um, and to bring them together uh, in a faithful, uh, you know, kind of way. Um, and I suspect that, you know, part of the reason is, is because, you know, so often, uh, when we look at the newspaper, uh, we view it as a kind of almost attack, uh, a daily attack on the faith that we hold near and dear. Uh, I think, you know, on the other side, when people who maybe are a bit more comfortable with the newspaper look at the Bible, it's like, you know, this thing is so antiquated and blunt and has all these ridiculous sort of things associated with it. Um, whatever it was, it's certainly not helpful in the modern and current context. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, when, when people have asked me, well, how do you theologically justify, right? That's one of the great sort of challenges always, uh, particularly from people of faith with regard to newspaper and Bible. You know, I often go back to Jesus's own comment about the kingdom of God. And he's, it's, it's probably one of the parables that gets the least amount of traction, but I think carries with it a very powerful uh, implication, which is that the kingdom of God is like that woman or man who goes into their storehouse and pulls out that which is old and that which is new. Mm -hmm. uh, at least my interpretation of that, Rick, is that, that we need to live in this tension of the tradition right, of our faith uh, of 2,000 plus years, at least, you know, in terms of the time of Jesus and before that, of course, with the, uh, with the Old Testament. Um, but we need to always be doing it in light of what does the newspaper say today about something like Ukraine, right, mm -hmm. about what's yeah. taking place in India, uh, some of the, you know, internal, you know, horrible uh, struggles in, in our American cities. 
Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's where we sit. And I'd be the first to admit it's not always comfortable. In fact, probably it's never comfortable. It's certainly not easy. Um, but it is, again, to use that space idea, Rick, exactly, I think, the space that the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, seems to be operating in. And, and to, to pay attention to that space, I think, is to align ourselves with what the Holy Spirit is already doing. Yeah, and I think, you know, your um, example and experience when you recall uh, being a Young Life leader at Lincoln High School and realizing that you can't sustain, uh, you know, a, a real uh, involvement there just based on affliction. I mean, you just this, yeah. you can only fuel, you know, your your activity uh, based on, you know, that as a motivation for so long and you have to find beauty. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. I also think that, you know, there's that classic line, you know, that you, we've heard before, you know, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good kind of thing. And, you know, yep. there some people think like, well, um, you know, you can't mix these two things. Uh, I, I do see the Pharisees, you know, you know, make, making that claim with Jesus. You know, they're always like, you know, by what authority do you have? Like, kind of, you know, but I think that, uh, that there is a certain, um, maybe I shouldn't, uh, prejudge it as, you know, Pharisaic, but, you know, it seems like that, but, you know, the idea that, Hey, you're just watering down, you know, the authority of scripture, you know, we're talking about supernatural stuff here, you know, so we don't need to, you know, pay much attention to the natural world. Uh, how do you address that? You know, when you see somebody who uh, thinks that, you know, um, you know, a calling, uh, you know, it has to be, I guess maybe this is putting words in their mouth, but uh, the, the, the less practical it is, the more spiritual it is. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean that that of course is you know is the is the debate, and it 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 is run you know wild in you know all denominations. I mean, I'm I'm Roman Catholic, and uh, the battle is excruciating between what might be considered the traditionalists, right, the faith mm -hmm. deposit that's been handed down. And that that cannot be tampered with, and then the more progressive, uh, right? Something like Vatican II, that was an example of that, or even Pope Francis himself has been accused of such, where they are, you know, losing the tradition and uh, and trying to be current and contemporary. Mm -hmm. um, so I I will always say to people, I want to acknowledge that that is a tension, um, right? I'm not I'm not not saying it's not a tension. But I find it to be a little bit overwrought, um, and I, I can give you plenty of examples, you know, of men and women who I've had this conversation with um, who, for example, are divorced and find themselves in leadership positions. And so when I, you know, ask them, well, how is it, right, given that the scripture seems to be pretty clear that you are to be eliminated from any kind of leadership, um, they say, well, we, you know, we've, we've matured in that position. So it's like, mm, right. it's, all, it's already baked in, I think, to most people as they read the scripture, uh, that they are, you know, kind of migrating and looking at, you know, things like science and what we're learning about, you know, each other and, and humankind. So I think, again, the real question is, is why do you choose to be progressive on this issue, this issue, and this issue? but you are quote unquote, a traditionalist on this issue and this issue. Right. 
And again, I'm not trying to persuade anybody to a particular position, but rather just lift up the mechanism that says you're already doing that. Um, now, if we can both admit in a kind of honest and transparent way that we are both doing that, now we can begin to give reasons for why you know I have moved on this issue. You know, mm-hmm. is it right. is it is it due to my uh, rereading of the Bible? Is it due to some science you know that has shown up that has maybe you know. Uh, given us new ways of thinking about a particular issue. Um, so again, I, I I have a very, very high view, deep love of the scripture, but I find that the scripture itself, uh, you know, and something like, you know, what's happening in Acts uh, is progressive, right? It, mm-hmm. is, it is taking a group of, of Jewish men and, uh, you know, beginning to open up ears and eyes with regard to the ramifications of the gospel that they were asked to steward. Um, and, and maybe most famously, you know, Rick, you know, you get to something like Acts 10, uh, and here's old first church himself, Peter, um, who has an epiphany, right, by way of a, a dream. Uh, and, you know, he's desperately trying to hold on to what he understood to be, you know, the tradition of the elders, uh, and finds out that the gospel is for Gentiles and, and goes through <laughs> a massive transformation. Well, there was nothing in, you know, the, tr- the tradition as he understood it that made him think that it was for, right, the, the Gentiles. Right. I mean, there were hints of it, right? He watched Jesus with the Samaritan woman. He, you know, had encounters uh, with people that probably he wasn't, uh, you know, fully aware of, or at least comfortable with, but, but it was, it was, I think Peter hanging on to, you know, in effect the Bible or his Bible at that time and the newspaper and beginning to realize, wow, there is more to this than I ever imagined. And I think that's the way you understand the book of Acts, right? It continues to pull back layer after layer after layer of just how big, how expansive uh, is this thing called the gospel? And you, in the end, yeah. by the end of the book of Acts, you go, ah, it's for everybody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love that that line you just said to me. Um, uh, during your sabbatical, you should just write this down as a title for some of your writing is that there's more to this than you ever imagined. Yeah, because I think that's that's absolutely true. You know, last night, um, <clears throat> to, not to date our podcast because they're you know <laughs> everlastingly valid and awesome. But you know, uh, last night we had a, a great time with a group of folks on a Monday Thursday, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, sort of uh, setting ourselves in sequence to you know the Ho- Holy Week Thursday night. You know, the the Last Supper. And certainly, you know, um, we reminded everyone that, you know, Monday, which is kind of an interesting word, but, it, you know, it, it's the Latin for mandate. And we, we, we've heard that a lot, you know, in the last couple of years. And yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, but this new this new mandate that Jesus gave, which was, uh, you know, love one another, you know. Yeah. And, and so it was really interesting that as I was reading that text, because uh, John, you know, 13, you know, is, uh, you know, kind of where the story unfolds, but it's a four chapter uh, um, you know, kind of experience, you know, just on Absolutely. Thursday. And, uh, but that one line, you know, when Jesus, um, puts the towel, you know, takes his robe up, puts the towel around his waist and, you know, everybody's like, what's, uh, what's happening, what's happening. Mm-hmm. 
I think about how that 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 expression, like there, there's more to this than than we had previously imagined. Like we've been to Passover quite a few times and we've never had the towel thing happen, you know. And then Jesus says to him, you know, when he can, he must obviously see that they're like, what in the world? You know, this is not part of the, you know, we have the we got the parsley here, we got the salty water, little horseradish. Yeah. What about the the towel and basin? That's like a new one. You know, exactly. And, yeah. uh, and then Jesus says in uh, John 13, seven, I read it last night uh, to this group that would gather. You don't understand what I'm doing, he said, but it'll be clear enough in just a little while. Yep. And I thought, wow, what a what a hopeful uh, thing for me to hear, you know, and to read, you know, even Completely. last night, because I was thinking about the newspaper, yep. you know, and I was thinking like, wow, what in the world, you know, is happening? And, yep. you know, and then this line that Jesus said, Hey, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but, uh, it'll be clear enough, uh, yeah. pretty soon here. And I thought, wow, that is really, um, that really does speak to the LF space, you know, where, where you don't have to deny the reality of, uh, you know, like we call it the urban reality. Yeah. Um, and I actually heard, uh, uh, you know, Tim Keller, who's a pastor in Manhattan for 30 years and now is, you know, really advocating really he's, he's starting to raise his voice for uh what what the lf network has been talking about for you know yeah, 50 absolutely. years but he's starting to talk about not just his city but cities yeah and then one of the things i thought was really interesting is he just said he's praying that um if someone feels that god would uh, want them to engage uh you know uh, uh ministry in the city or you know that space you know between the newspaper you know and the scripture yeah that he said if if you feel that that's that's the way God's leading you, then his encouragement was, if you think you're supposed to do it for two years, give it four. If you think five years works, give it 10. Like, you know, he's just mm-hmm. saying, just mm-hmm. give it, you know, just give it a chance and yeah. uh, and see what God's up to. So I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, going back to your comment about Jesus saying, you know, you guys don't fully get it yet. Um, I, I mean, I think that's probably, you know, something I should tattoo, uh, on my arm. Um, when I look <laughs> that would back, be a good tat, yeah. yeah, when I look back over our work, because there has been a sense in which, you know, I think as LF has walked into the spiritual and social renewal of cities, we haven't fully known what it is. Uh, it's been this grand sort of, uh, entrepreneurial innovative project, um, that interestingly enough, Rick, uh, having done it for so many years now, we are beginning to understand, oh, so that's what that was. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, you know, this is going to be a little bit of my new chapter in life is to have more time, more margin in my life to reflect on exactly what you just described. Um, What is now that understanding that Jesus has given us about how to work in cities and communities um, really around the world? And so I I really like that. Yeah, well, I think sometimes... And of course, I wouldn't uh, want to advocate this as a uh, an excuse to not have a strategic plan because <laughs> I mean that's helpful too. But I think yeah. sometimes the uh, you know we just don't really know, and then and then we but we just obey, we follow, we you know we live it out, we we love, we find beauty instead of affliction, and yeah. then we can take better notes later. That's but right. I, I, sometimes we don't have the you know like we don't have it all figured out, but that's definitely what we're seeing now. And, yep. and certainly as, um, you know, as we see, like, like one of the things that's a, the beautiful about LF, I think, is that every city is so unique, but there are 
some you know remarkable uh, equivalencies when we get together and say like wow you know this that's a, a different newspaper yep you know but the same but the same reality that we're seeing so yeah i mean and elif has described this you know differently in a lot of ways but you know one way has been the reflective practitioner um Again, it's bringing two things together, I think, Rick, that oftentimes are, you know, a bit juxtaposed. Uh, you either have, you know, the activist out there that's just trying to get things done and spends little to no time going, well, why am I doing this? You, of course, have the other side of the equation, which is trying to ask the big questions, the big ideas, but has very little street cred, uh, mm-hmm. to use the term. And and that space of being able to, again, bring newspaper and um, you know, Bible to bring practitioner and philosopher together. Um, that is a space that I think LF uh, has a lot to offer. And yeah. I, one of the one of the things I love is when I think about the company that I keep with you know almost fifty plus local leadership foundation presidents who, in their particular context, are all doing that. Right? They are uh, practitioners in some exquisite ways. But they've also, I think, because of our culture, built in the margin to reflect on why it was that they did what they did uh, almost after the fact, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, and so that's been a, a big part of the Leadership Foundation culture. Yeah, well, you know, I just I had a chance to connect with an old friend. You know, we haven't seen some of our friends for a couple of years based on, you know, uh, you know, just being kind of uh, distanced, you know. And uh, yeah. when I talked to this guy and he's a... Uh, he's a bit a musician his whole life and, and he does uh, a lot of stuff in the worship, you know, uh, venue. But, uh, he said that whenever he told somebody that he was, uh, like, Oh yeah, I'm a Christian musician. They would be like, okay. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. They're just kind of like thinking that's, uh, highly unnecessary actually, you know, like you just, and so, but recently he met somebody and, um, the person was like, uh, you know, completely, uh, you know, uh, more of a newspaper, uh, you know, uh, person than a, you know, than a, yeah. than a scripture yeah. person. They said, well, what do you do? And he said, Oh, uh, I, I write musical prayers mm. and, and they, and they said, that is so cool. Right. <laughs> you know? And it, it right. became like this point of conversation. And they said, can you send me some? And so he sent, he sent them his, some of his music and they just thought it was great. And, and like super now he's in this ongoing conversation with this person yeah. because he just described what he was doing in a way that, um, you know, that, that wasn't off-putting, but it was, uh, it was even more significant than what he previously described himself. I've seen that with LF, you know, and I think, what do you think if you were to, uh, you know, try to answer this question, how do you think um, this dynamic of, you know, the Bible and the newspaper or the street and the academy have shown up, you know, in, in like kind of redefined, uh, yeah. h- how we think. Yeah. I think that's a great question. I, in hearing you describe it, Rick, I also think about, you know, the fact that when God <clears throat> by Moses, you know, was asked his God's name, right. Uh, you know, what you would want is something kind of muscular and big, you know, whether it was Thor or, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, one of, one of the Greek or Roman gods, but this, this response is, well, I am. 
And theologians would spend a lot of time, you know, trying to figure out what exactly does that mean. And in effect, um, one way to translate it is, you know, is that, you know, I am the energy behind everything that you, you know, encounter, you experience. And so I think in that sense, there's a deep biblical reason, Rick, for doing exactly what your friend did, which is to say, instead of me trying to kind of, you know, define, you know, what I do and categorize it, you know, let me simply describe to you what is happening. Uh, and you mm-hmm. can, you can name it, you can, you know, describe it any yeah, way yeah. that, uh, that you want. So, yeah, I think with regard to, you know, leadership foundations, you know, there's, uh, you know, again, uh, almost 50 leadership foundations around the world. Uh, it represents 193 different initiatives and programs uh, in different domains, ranging from, you know, healthcare to housing, uh, to, you know, church planting, to discipleship, to mentoring. Um, so in that sense, Rick, that that 193, I would argue, are demonstrations of leadership foundations that have grabbed a hold of the newspaper of their city um, mm-hmm. and, and asked the question, what is needed here? Uh, and also held on to their Bible and said, you know, how do we form and inform that activity uh, with the sense of who God is, you know, what the incarnation means, uh, what is the Holy Spirit up to? Um, So that's, you know, that's just been terrific. Uh, In fact, next week, uh, we'll be going to uh, our Leadership Foundation in West Virginia, Philippi, West Virginia, where uh, they will be having their accreditation process and myself and Larry Lloyd will be there. Um, And I'm, again, absolutely, you know, convinced that I will see another, you know, huge, you know, demonstration of someone like Rustin Seaman, uh, who's the president there, um, holding on to the paper uh, in Philippi, which is dominated uh, by the opioid crisis and all Mm -hmm. this taking place there. Um, and the programs that he has developed to to deal with that, and at the same time, you know, grabbing hold of his his Bible and saying, now, how you know should we take on this opioid crisis in a way that is empathetic and compassionate? Um, so that that would be a, a good example. Yeah, at a, diff- totally. at a different level, um, you know, it was it was interesting, Rick. Here about oh three months ago, I was asked to write. Um, a an article for Comment Magazine, and Comment <clears throat> is a wonderful quarterly magazine that is trying to kind of recover, uh, you know, uh, theology for the public square. And so the mm-hmm. editor, who's a, a good friend of mine, asked if I would write an article. And the article ended up being titled um, uh, "Non-Reactive Leadership: Colon uh, Lessons from uh, Rene Girard and Saint Ignatius of Loyola." And uh, it mm-hmm. was uh, it was actually kind of fun uh, to write. Uh, of course, the person we referenced before, uh, James Allison, uh, who I used uh, one of his quotes to talk about this idea of non-reactive. But I think the article represents um, a, a good sort of merging of both uh, the theological uh, and the philosophical, uh, in the sense of here's Rene Girard and his wonderful sort of understanding of anthropology. And then really tried to grapple with, you know, St. Ignatius, who was the practitioner, right, who, mm-hmm. uh, you know, created the largest religious order in the Catholic Church. Um, and so to kind of use those two uh, 
to kind of dialogue with each other in this this paper I put together, you know, I think would be another example of of the way that LF um, is always trying to figure out how to keep, you know, again, that newspaper and yeah. uh, Bible together. So, yeah, well, I, I read the article way to go. Uh, it was like I even uh, I mean, I'd have quite a few conversations with you in both those lanes, but it was really helpful to me again mm. to, you know, to see. Uh, how they're assimilated and then to, to understand, you know, how LF lives it out. So uh, I, I think that's awesome. And I, I was even thinking about, um, you know, the, the, the title of, you know, a lot of LF's training material is street, you know, from street Psalm and, and in the, right there is, uh, you know, mm -hmm. that, that title sort of embodies that idea of, you know, the street and, you know, and the Psalm, you know, and the, uh, you know, the reality and the poetry, you know, um, you know, yep. guiding us. So uh, I think you can see that as examples and, and not only, you know, those kinds of references and, and you know, the, the comment article, but even when we started off, we were, we started, you know, uh, very beginning of our conversation today, just, you know, about uh, talking about, you know, the uh, uh, poetry and prayer, you know, and, you know, yep. just that, that living in those two realities. And I think that's, that's what's so helpful, you know, because I had somebody the other day say to me, what, what does the Bible say about your iPhone? You know, and they were trying to, you know, make a, make a point that, you know, it's irrelevant. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, and then I, I was, uh, you know, I asked them, what does your iPhone say about life? You know, yeah. And yeah. I mean, so, you know, so there we were, but it was, uh, it was friendly banter, but it, you know, we were, but there, there is that tension. And I think to admit it and then to pursue it is so great. you a question dave here i heard you say you're going to be going to uh philippi you know philippi uh, mm -hmm. you know and you're going to be uh involved over there and you know we've talked about the great work that that they're involved in there uh at the lf uh, local lf but then I, I thought to myself wait a second aren't you on sabbatical and aren't you transitioning from president to uh you know what are we going to call you uh uh, Yoda or something like a chief <laughs> right. mentor, uh, you know, but so explain to me a little bit about, uh, what the future looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Rick. Um, so let me kind of back up and, and give a, a comment around just the whole nature. I think of leadership. Um, you know, I, uh, when I look back over my shoulder, I think one of the themes uh, has been my commitment to the next generation of leadership. Uh, and particularly I think women, and people of color and trying to uh, kind of build a platform by which uh, if, you know, they were, you know, able to, could, uh, you know, take my place. So that happened in Young Life way back in the day that happened at the Northwest Leadership Foundation. And so immediately when I took Reed's place, you know, almost 14 years ago, I remember Jack Fortin, who has been on our podcast. Uh, I mean, I maybe had the job 24 hours and he said, so what's your, uh, what's your succession plan? And I said, I said, yeah, give me a break. I mean, I, I'm still trying to figure out, you know, this job. And yeah, he just very wisely said, Dave, I mean, good leadership immediately begins to think about, you know, a succession plan on the more negative side. I've also seen Rick, I think leadership that has overstayed its welcome. Um, you know, whether that be a pastor, you know, whether that be a nonprofit leader, whether that be a for-profit leader, I mean, you know, Rick, you and your occupation, I mean, you 
you've been there where you see that pastor who is now regurgitating, you know, those sermons uh, from, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago. Uh, and, you know, not that the, the, we can't say something more than once, right? But, but how much of that is just, you know, I'm kind of putting this thing into, into drive and not straining anymore. So I, uh, I did not want to uh, overstay my welcome, you know, at, at LF. So this last year and a half with the board uh, really began to ask the question. This actually came out of a, a, a task force called the Centering to Expand Task Force that was simply trying to ask the question about LF in light of COVID, in light mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, uh, uh, all the uh, social unrest, uh, the racial uh, realities. And so in that process, it became clear and clear to me that um, I had done what I can do. Um, I looked into my toolbox and saw a set of tools. And I looked, you know, at the LF mission and what needs to happen. And the two weren't as much a match as they used to be. Um, the other thing that that has always motivated me, Rick, is that when Paul describes, you know, his ministry, he describes it as having run the good race. And I remember being younger and thinking, well, yeah, that's a great metaphor. But I interpreted that metaphor as an individual race, right? It was either the 100-meter dash uh, or it was a maybe a marathon. But, but suffice it to say, it was, you know, one person running that race. As I've gotten older, I think Paul actually meant that it was a relay race. Mm-hmm. And, and if it's a relay race, uh, then everything depends on the baton pass. Right. Um, so that's what uh, has happened here over the last now about a year uh, through prayerful discernment, talking with the board, talking with LF staff. Um, it became clear and clear to me that it was it was time to step out. The board has very graciously, uh, one, I think, received that. Uh, secondly, uh, gave me a six month sabbatical. Um, and then third, um, have said what we would like you to do, Dave, if over the six months um, you discern this is the way you want to move, come back and work for the Colangelo Carpenter Innovation Center as a thought leader. Mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, we have found in LF that we are more and more being invited into some space um, that, that I think we need to inhabit, right? That that somebody needs to be there uh, to talk uh, about what has worked on the streets uh, and and to be comfortable with that. And at the same time, to be able to access, you know, theoretical and theological frameworks. So that is what I will be doing over the six months sabbatical. Um, Mm -hmm. The the funny part is that my uh, person who's replaced me, a longtime friend and mentor, Larry Lloyd, has reminded me time and again that it is a working sabbatical, uh, <laughs> and so that uh, that explains that a little explains, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While I'll be in West Virginia next week, um, but I'm yeah, I'm overall uh, Rick, really looking forward to it. One of the things I've done with the six months is uh, divided each month up into a particular theological theme. Again, trying to address uh, well, what are the deeper ramifications of seeing the city as playground rather than battleground. So mm-hmm. I will have a chance, for example, uh, to spend a whole month with Terry McGonigal, um, who is my Greek and Hebrew professor, uh, but is a real specialist uh, in and around the concept of shalom. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to 
sit with Terry and talk about, you know, leader, uh, city's playground and Shalom. Yeah. Um, I'm going to sit with Dale Irvin, who is a very good friend, uh, former president of New York Theological Seminary and talk with him about the built space and city as playground. And I hope, you know, in doing all that, I will be able to come back and have more resource, um, you know, more ability to uh, help leadership foundations around the world. Yeah, yeah, well, no doubt at all. And, and I think that uh, for our listeners, we just look forward to, um, you know, the the sort of updates and, and our, it's interesting that our little podcast here uh, started off as, uh, you know, just kind of a, we'll take a flyer here. And, uh, you know, I was, <clears throat> I would have to say, uh, I'm not the only one, I'm sure, but I, I want, I like hearing your voice. I mean, I appreciate all the things you write, but it's just fun to hear you uh, talk to me, you know, and uh, one of the things about a podcast is it's, uh, we know that it's like, you know, it's, you know, based on the idea of broadcast that, you know, it's, it's kind of, we throw it out there, but really, um, usually we're just talking to one person, you know, in their car <laughs> or one person that's on a walk or, you know, you usually don't get, you know, mm -hmm. call your friends and go, Hey, everybody come over to my house. We're going to listen to a podcast, you know? So it's a, it is kind of a private, yeah. um, it's a private opportunity to have somebody talk to you. And I, I just really, I think you've, uh, we've all benefited from, you know, having you talk to us and we look forward to, to how that uh, unfolds in the future. I know that uh, on our podcast here, we're going to have some uh, opportunities for new hosts. You know, our, our roving reporter, uh, Noah basket, you know, is going to come front and center to the mic now and then, and we're going to hear still hear from a lot of uh, local leadership uh, uh, presidents. And so uh, yeah. I think it's just going to be a, a chance to expand the, the number of voices and um, the, the ideas, like you said, uh, what a, what a cool thing, like not all of us get to go do uh, and spend time wish, you know, on Shalom and yeah. you know, the city, yeah. but as long as you're going, you know, you're going to bring us the goods. And so I think that's exciting. So we look yeah. forward to that. And, uh, and let's, let's end up our, uh, our podcast today with uh, as we do, you know, we like to have a, a recommendation, which is just a, uh, you know, an idea, a book, an article, uh, anything that's crossed your path that encourages your understanding of how uh, God has worked in the city uh, and uh, the city as a playground. So what do you have for us that at, would be kind of a an add-on resource as we end this podcast? Yep, I do have one, Rick. And uh, again, uh, one little contextual comment. When I look back at the 14 years, um, one of the great graces for me, as I've tried to think about how to lead LF, uh, has been the gift of the Jesuits. Um, now, I happen to have a spirituality uh, on a personal level that, of course, is tethered into that. But mm -hmm. a book um, called uh, Heroic Leadership um, by Chris Lowney um, was really a blueprint by which I could begin to think about um, leadership foundations in light of that organizational model. Uh, so it's been, again, just a, a great grace. And I think, you know, largely a lot of what we've been able to do now after these 14 years uh, is because we kind of adhered to that model. Um, you know, Ignatius, as I've said before, was a genius at a lot of levels, uh, both spiritually, I think, and practically in the way he built the Ella or the uh, uh, Jesuit network is, is remarkable. Right. So, all that to say that every year, Leadership Foundation's global office picks up a, a devotional theme that kind of guides our weekly staff uh, calls. And we've done a whole host of things over the last 14 years. This year is a little bit of my swan song. I decided to come full circle. Uh, 
Uh, and so we've grabbed a book called Contemplatives in Action. Mm-hmm. And it's actually by two Jesuits uh, that outline uh, what they describe as kind of the, the seven tensions that uh, Jesuits live with that propels them. And it it's, it has kind of grabbed a hold of this idea, Rick, that one of the ways the Jesuits are described is having always one foot in the air, which means that they are perpetually in motion, mm-hmm. right? Uh, trying to fulfill their mission, which is for the greater glory of God. Uh, but they also have one foot on the ground, uh, which is the contemplative side, right? Which right. is, let's continue to ask the question of why are we doing what we're doing? And I think that notion of contemplatives in action is a a fit moniker for leadership foundations. Um, yeah. You know, we're, we're contemplative. We're asking the big theological ideas of the city that we serve and the scripture, but we're putting it to action. And, mm-hmm. and I think to live with that tension uh, is, is really then the thing that uh, has allowed LF to be uh, such a grace to this world. Wow. And that is so, I mean, that is such a great uh, fit to our entire conversation uh, about, you know, the newspaper, you exactly. know, and the, and the timeless truth. I mean, there it is uh, one foot in the air, one foot on the ground. So what a cool recommendation. I know when I give the recommendation, it usually has nothing to do with what we talked about, but you tied it in, Dave. That's, <laughs> that's why you sit in that chair there. But listen, we want to wish you, first of all, um, you know, a, a bomb voyage in the sense of, you know, a great, uh, uh, you know, journey through this working sabbatical. And mm. then uh, just really looking forward to, um, you know, your new role, because I do think, uh, you know, the thought leader has always been there, but like now, you, you know, you, that's gets to be, um, you know, primary instead of, you know, all yeah. the other things that go with it. So, and also yeah. I think, you know, uh, I really think, you know, now we, we're wearing out our metaphors here today. We probably had about 40 of them, but, uh, but, you know, I just, I just went on a, a little road trip um, because I was invited to, uh, participate in a, an event in, uh, in Arizona. And I thought, let's, I'm going to drive. I don't want to fly as much. I just want to drive because the price of gas is awesome, you know? And so we, <laughs> <laughs> so we took off, but anyway, but getting ready for that trip, you know, I did the classic thing. I thought, well, the tires are kind of worn out on our car. So we got some new tires. And then I, I brought in the old oil change place, you know, and yeah. new oil in it. And, 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 uh, you know, then I, I brought her home, vacuumed it out and, uh, you know, and I mean, I kind of like got the thing ready to travel. Mm. And, uh, and I think I really feel that way about LF. You know, I think that, um, that, you know, that there's some maintenance, uh, there's some, you know, there was some, uh, new things, yeah. some stuff that needed to be kind of overhauled. I think yeah. the, uh, you know, the, the wheel of change, you know, there you go with the, uh, you know, yeah. getting the tires ready. Yeah. And I just think that, that, uh, I really feel like that, you know, whoever, um, jumps in the driver's seat, um, that your contribution, uh, is going to take us on an incredible road trip, but we wouldn't, have, you know, we wouldn't have had much, uh, traction leverage or mileage, you know, no matter what. And, uh, and so anyway, I, that's the little metaphor I'd leave us with. And I thank you for, yeah, thank um, you, Rick. For putting us in that position, you know, because uh, like, we, you know, all of us have, I'm, I'm thinking about um, the, the benefit of LF to our, our grandkids, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. and, yeah, uh, And so, Absolutely. you know, uh, you know my, uh, my, I found out, Dave, I might have told you this before, my, uh, my grandmother was uh, um, off the reservation in Missouri, and she was a Chickasaw, uh, full-blooded Chickasaw uh, native, and and so I didn't know that until my cousin, uh, you know, tuned me in just about a year ago. So I've been really 
Hmm. Go checking that out and studying that and, and finding out oh. who, you know, who are my people here, you know? And yeah. Yeah. One of the things that's really been cool is my, um, you know, my heart for the indigenous community as a result of, you know, like having some kind of a, an association. But, but one of the things that, that I was reading is that they were talking about the ancestors and instead of saying, you know, passed away or died or, you know, they said uh, they walked on. Mm, nice. And I thought, well, I love that little line. That's you know, great. And, I th- and so I think that, you know, we don't have to literally, you know, like expire, you know, physically. Yeah. But we do need to walk on. That's good. Know? And I think that's what that's what we're seeing here is just, a, yeah. like you said, there's a chance for somebody else to 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 uh, open up their toolkit yep. and see like, wow, look at all, you know, I got some things here that, you know, would really fit. But uh, I yep. also think that you're, uh, I still like your toolkit, Dave, and you got, you got I can't wait for you to, uh, to lead us in thought and uh, to be a part of that, uh, that innovation, you know, yeah. and I think that when we, even I had a chance to attend that, you know, the opening of the uh, yeah. Colangelo Carpenter uh, Center. And, and I thought, mm, I, wonder what this place is going to be for, you know, as I was there in, in now I think, Oh, okay. I think this is what it was for. So, so it's it's exciting. Yeah. Thank you for those very kind comments. And I love that idea of walking on and in that spirit, um, what is great to say to everybody and our listeners is that Larry Lloyd through his own discernment uh, has come to a place and the board has, um, you know, uh, announced him as, as uh, the person who's going to replace me. And, so he is the permanent uh, president here moving forward. And uh, again, if, if Cleveland was any taste of the future, uh, I think Larry and I are going to potentially have a very good time together. He's so gifted and so capable in ways yeah. that I can't even imagine. And yeah. In turn, I think I'm able to do a couple of things that uh, he says, please uh, continue to do that. So yeah, look forward well, that, to that. that's doubly encouraging because I, I think both both good. You know what yep. I mean? Good, yep. good. Yeah. Yep. All right. right. Well, okay. Well, until next time, uh, thank you for uh, being a part of what we're doing. And uh, if you have any questions, info at leadershipfoundations.org, uh, send them on over and uh, we'll take recommendations, questions, or, uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe you have some good ideas and you want to get your voice on here. We're happy to do that as well. So until next time, see you, Dave. All right, Rick. Thank you. Thank you.